0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Hey, listen, loved ones, if you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me to Philippians chapter one? Philippians one is where we're going to go to today, at the end of our great series on the word of God, starting a different thing today uh, before we begin a new series in a couple weeks. Philippians chapter 1. While you're turning there, let me put up a picture of ancient Philippi and the map that it is. Uh, it was in uh, ancient Greece. It still is in Greece today. Uh, Philippi is a lot like modern-day Gettysburg. It's proud because of something that happened there. In Philippi, ancient Philippi, there was a huge battle, a huge battle that essentially out of that battle comes the new Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, headed by Caesar Augustus, fought at Philippi. And that same Caesar Augustus is the one we read about in the Bible. But this is the beginning of everything. And so Philippi, understandably, gets a lot of hometown pride. Uh, It it becomes a Roman colony. Uh, It it adopts Latin as its language rather than Greek, which is surrounding it everywhere. Uh, A a lot of Romans come and they want to live there. Uh, A lot of old soldiers retire there. It's a Roman colony. It's a big fan. Proud, proud citizenry. If you went to the baseball game in Philippi, they would be like, yeah, Philippi, Philippi, Philippi. Cheering. Yeah, flip the bat again. Philippi, Philippi, Philippi. Being a citizen of Philippi meant something. It was a great place to be from. A lot of civic pride. Well, something happens About a hundred years after that battle, a squinty-eyed little preacher gets off a boat from the Aegean Sea, and he walks into the town with his friends, and he begins to share the gospel. He begins to share the message of Jesus Christ, first to a seamstress by the river, and then to a jailer, and then to the jailer's family, and then to the whole town, and pretty soon the gospel goes off like a bomb in the city. And many, many people are hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ and giving their lives up to him. Well, this squinty-eyed preacher goes away. He goes to other towns. He shares the gospel elsewhere. And he ends up getting jailed in Rome, which is where he probably is at the time of this writing. And because he can't visit these churches and these people that he loves so very much, he writes letters and sends them out through the bars. And some of these letters you have in the book that's on your lap right now. And one of those letters to the church at Philippi is the letter of the Philippians that you have right now. And some of the words are in front of you right now. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 says this from the man behind bars. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm by one Spirit, as we jump into God's word together today let's let's pause for a second and ask the lord for his help let's pray together lord i i want to be changed today i want to be different i want the old man with his desires and his passions that run against you i want that old man silenced I want new affections, new affections for things that really matter. I want to crave the things of the world. I want to crave the things of the kingdom of God. I want to do that today, but I cannot do that today in my own strength. I find, in fact, within my own body, I'm doing the things I don't want to do, and the things I really want to do for the kingdom of God, I can't do. So who will save me? Who will save us from this body of death today? You will. You will. And so that's why we start right now. Not because it's what we do every time. It's because we, it's what we need every time. We need you, Lord, to teach us these truths. We need you, Lord, not to just hit our minds with these truths, but to hit our hearts and to change our lives through them. And so we call it to you, the one who wrote the book, through the Apostle Paul, this letter, and now who will teach us what it means. We need you, Lord Jesus. So we call it to you now. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, let's jump into our text today. I want us to see right away what Paul's getting at, what his main driving thrust behind this passage is. It's right there in verse 27. Paul starts the passage this way, only, only, only. Now before we go any further, just let me tell you this one thing about only, okay? Really quickly, that word only is a double emphatic. He, he puts two words together to make it seem like so important. It's like, it's, like, it's like he's saying, hey, hey, stop the presses. Pay attention to this. What I'm about to say is hugely important. If, if Paul was standing up here in a suit and preaching, he'd say something like this. Hey, 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 look up here. Hey, hey, listen up. Turn to your neighbor and say. He'd say something like that. This is so important what's about to come. Are you excited to find out what it is? All right, well, we're going there anyways. It says only, 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 listen up. This is important above all. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of life, hey, proud citizens of Philippi. Paul uses a word there that says citizen in it. You can't see it. What he's saying is live as a citizen worthy of the gospel. You love that you're from Philippi. You cheer for Philippi. Hey, 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 how about you live worthily? As a citizen of Christ and the gospel of Christ, You've you've got one life, Philippi, live it worthily for the gospel of Christ. That's his main point. You've got one life, live it worthy of the gospel of Christ. Have you thought much recently about the kind of legacy that you'll leave? Have you thought much about the kind of life that you're living? You know, with every year that passes, I begin to think more and more about this. I think it's getting older. I think it's realizing that life is short. I read this even this week in Psalm 39. It says, Oh, Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you've made my days as few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. You want to know when I read that? I read that this week, just recently, on my birthday. Yay. <laughs> Life is short. Translation. Live it. Translation. You get a set number of days, just a set number of days. Use them well. Have you thought much about this? Have you thought much about your legacy? And Paul has. He's getting older, he's in a crisis, he's locked in jail. Being locked in jail gives you time to think about things like this. And he calls the church at Philippi to live a life that matters. What does a life that matters really look like? Have you, have you thought about that? Have you thought about what does it look like to live a life that matters? Have you asked yourself the question recently, will my life matter? Is my life going to be like a footprint set in concrete? Or is it going to be like a footprint set in sand? that the shore waves just wash away. Listen, listen, listen. The time to start thinking about these things. The time to start thinking about whether my life matters. The time to start thinking about the legacy that I'm leaving. Guess, guess, guess when that is? Guess when that is for the young man? Guess when that is for the old man? Guess when that is for the grandmother, grandfather? Guess when that is? Guess when that is? It's right now. Right now. That's the point of the passage today. Here's the main point if you want it. It's this. One word. Live. Live. How about this? Really live. Or how about this? Live a life that matters. Or in the negative, don't waste your life. Why do you need to hear this message today? Why do I need to hear this message today? Well, because apart from God convincing me that this is true, I will, I will waste my life. I will do it. I will not live for anything that matters. I'll live for things like rest or or peace. I'll live for possessions. I'll live for money. I'll live for power. I'll live for fame. I'll live for vacations. I'll live for sex, I'll live for food, I'll live for coffee, I'll live for the addition to the home, I'll live for the car, I'll live for the boat, I'll live for that great nap. And you know what, you know what, here's the truth, Satan will call me all the time, hey, hey, come, 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 come this way, come this way. Just just live that life, just live that quiet life. You strive for those things, Live a quiet, peaceful, contented life. Be busy with those things and pretty soon you're busy with those things and busy with those things and you look at the end of your life and you've lived not really a life that matters at all. Live the life for self. Listen, I know that there are people here who struggle with this today. Why do I know this? Why do I know this? Because I know this myself, that I live for these things too often. I look back and is this it? Is this it? Is this it? Is this what I'm living for? Is this really gonna be my legacy? Are you asking that question today? Is this it? Is this all I'm living for? Is this gonna be my legacy? What's what's it gonna look like on my tombstone? I was gonna say, here lies Craig Turnbull. This guy really knew how to take a nap. (laughs) What about you? Here lies you. You took a lot of vacations. You drank a lot of coffee. You really took a lot of pictures of the food you ate. What's it going to look like for your legacy? What's your life going to look like? Will it have mattered in the end? I want to change. I want to change today. Because I see in myself this too much. Do you see it too? Too much living for these things that don't matter. Lord, please give us hearts to live. Give us hearts to really live. Well, how do we do this? How do we do this? Paul gives us two stands that we need to take Two stands. If you're going to live a life that matters, if you're going to live a life that really counts for something, you've got to take two stands. And you've got to take these two stands today, and you've got to take these two stands every moment of the rest of your life. To live this life that matters. Two stands. Look with me again at verse 27. Only, only, whatever else you do, at all costs, at all costs, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you, or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm. In one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, Paul's saying this: You only get one life. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Here's the first thing he's telling them to stand for: Hey, Philippi, you want to live a life that really matters? Live a life that really matters. You got to do this first. You got to stand firm. You got to stand firm. You want to be good citizens of the gospel? You want to be good citizens for Christ? First thing you need to do is to stand firm. You got to you got to stand up. You got to get on your feet. Don't run away. You got to stand firm. Dig in, hold the ground. No soldier sits down on the battlefield. No citizen of the gospel of Christ does that either. But notice the words he chooses to use in this passage. They're very telling. Only, 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 let, let, let your manner of l- l- life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he says this, he says this, that I may hear that you are standing firm, and listen, listen, in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side. What's he saying there? It's not enough to stand up. It's not enough to stand alone. You stand together. You stand together in this. Together. That's what he's calling us to do. Not just you living your life in exclusion to others, you're to live your life together, standing up together. But notice this, still in our first point, how are we together? How are we to be living together? Well, we're, we're to be together, we're to be united in heart, In heart, Paul says, he says this, that they're to be standing firm in one spirit and one mind. Now that word for spirit and that word for mind, it's not meant to divide us in half and say, okay, with your spirit, do this. With your mind, do this. No, what he's doing is he's speaking of the totality of of, of humanity. He's saying with everything you've got, with the very seat of who you are, right into the center of your being, you're to stand firm in this. You're to stand firm with your very heart. What does he mean by everything though? We're to, we're to stand firm in, in, in everything? In everything? How does that work? Does, does that mean we cheer for the same team? Does that mean that when we go to Walmart, we'd all choose the same color of, of, of drapes? Is that what we choose? No, no. What's the context? What are we standing firm in? What's the main thing we're to agree on? What's the thing that in our hearts we're to be like, yes, we're one together. We're one in this. What's that main thing? It's right up there in verse 27. Did you see it? It's the gospel of Christ. That's the thing that is, yes, I agree with and I bump into you and I share, hey, this is how I understand the gospel of Christ to be. You're like, yes, I agree. That's exactly what my heart says, the same thing as well. We're exactly on the same page with the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ. That's a word to stand firm in. But what is the gospel of Christ? What is the good news of Christ? It's the death of myself in the death of Christ. It's the very bad news that I'm a very bad sinner. It's the very bad news that I've lived my life apart from God, for my own sake, for my own glory, for my own praise, for me, that I have chosen to reject the righteous standards of a holy and awesome God who created me and who loved me before the foundation of the world. I've chosen to reject that, and I've chosen to make up my own rules in this life. I've thrown away the rule book and written my own rules. Rule number one, live for me. That's the bad news, is that I've lived like this. This is the kind of person I am inside of myself. And the bad news gets even worse, is that I'm under conviction, and as a sinner, I'm alienated and, and, and sit under judgment from God. Not only am I estranged from God, not only am I living my life from my own way, now I'm, now I'm distanced and under judgment by God. And listen, if I die, as millions do each day, in only that place of being distanced from God, then I spend the rest of my life, I spend the rest of eternity apart from him. That's the very bad news of the gospel of Christ. But there's very good news. The very good news is that that's the way I live unless, unless I throw my life down at the feet of Jesus Christ, Jesus, God in flesh who came for me, who because of his ocean of love took my judgment he took my sin. He took my wrath. And he pushed me out of the way of the train. And he took the death that I deserved. And that ocean of love washes over me. But i got to throw my life down. This is the gospel. That this is what I did, but look at what Christ has done. And that through, through faith I can take hold of that forgiveness even today. That's the gospel of Christ. That's the message we're to agree on. Why does Paul say we're to agree on it? Because so many people disagree on it. So many people say, no, it's not that way, it's this way. That's not the good news. The good news is this. A.W. Tozer saw this kind of difference of opinion related to the gospel, and he wrote a book called The Dwelling Place. He wrote it almost 50 years ago, and this is what he said about the gospel and how it's being twisted and turned. He said this, the new cross that's being spoken of today does not slay the sinner. It redirects him. It gears him into a cleaner and a happier way of living and saves his self-respect. To the self-assertive, it says, come and assert yourself for Christ. To the egotist, it says, come and do your boasting in the Lord. To the thrill-seeker, it says, come and enjoy the thrill of fellowship. The Christian message is slanted in the direction of the current vogue in order to make it more acceptable to the public. And then he says this, but the faith of Christ does not parallel the world, it intersects it. In coming to Christ, we don't bring our old life into a higher plane, we leave it at the cross, dead. You preach or who declare the gospel, must not think of ourselves as public relation agents trying to establish goodwill between God and the world. And then he says this quote. He says this: "We must not imagine ourselves commissioned to make Christ acceptable to big business, to the press, to the world of sports or even modern education. We are not diplomats. We are not diplomats, but we're prophets. And our message is not a compromise, but an ultimatum. Here is the truth: You're a sinner separated from god and if you do not repent if you do not turn to christ throw your life down at his feet and ask for forgiveness and receive the gift of salvation in him then you will then you will perish that's the ultimatum of the gospel but that's not a popular message but that's the truth no compromise the truth just the truth that sets men free the truth, the gospel tells me that I'm very sinful, but the gospel also tells me the wondrous truth that God loves me, and he loves you. And God, the creator of the universe, did what so few people in my life would do. And maybe if you're honest with yourselves, maybe not even one person in your life would do this for you. He laid down his life for me. He willingly died for me. He died for you so that you might have forgiveness and life. He pushed you out of the way of the train of God's wrath and he takes it and he dies. He gets the death. He gets the wrath. You get forgiveness. You get life. You get adoption. You get freedom. But listen, you must lay down your life. You must lay down your life to take his up. That's a repentance by faith. And that is the deep, deep depths of the love of God. That's the gospel. That's the gospel we hold to. And that's what's supposed to be on our hearts. This is what marks us. This is what defines us. When I bump into you and I share the gospel, you're saying, yeah, that's the gospel I love. It's the reason why many of you, when I'm sharing the gospel, you're like, I love that. I love that truth. That's the thing that unites us. Not the sports team we cheer for. Not the color of our skin. Not where we live or where we were born. Not about the version of the Bible we use or the name of the church we go to. What unites us in mind, what unites us in our heart is the understanding that God has loved me. God has loved me. And he died for me. Even a guy like me. Well, that's what's supposed to hit our hearts. That's what's supposed to unite us. That's what Paul says. But, but it doesn't just stay there. It doesn't just hit the heart and then just stay there, filling us with joy. No, it overflows out of the heart. It makes us move. Notice what Paul says next. That I may hear that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind. And then he says this, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Not just united in heart, but notice this also, united in action. Not just united in heart, but united in action, in action. Now that word there, that, that, that striving word, is actually a word that's picked up in the Greek. It's, it means to be working together as a team. It's like an army working together. The actual term comes from gladiatorial work, fighting in the circus. and, 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 and It's a life and death battle, working together. That's the understanding of that word, striving. It's a life and death fight together in the trenches. Just as there's no one-man army, there's no one-man church. There's no one-woman church. You do not strive alone. We do this together. We strive in the fight for the gospel together. We wage war together. There's a togetherness in this. Why is that so important? Why is that so important? Because honestly, so many of us Are getting killed because we're going out alone. So many of us are getting killed because you don't have this in your life. Oh, sure, you come and you you sit here, and that feels like you're part of the community, but is there anything else? Like, are you really in? Like, like, is 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 there a striving together? Is there a linking arms with fellow believers in this life? 1 Peter chapter 5 tells us that we're to be aware, we're to be sober-minded, we're to be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. A roaring lion. Have you ever watched a nature show and seen how lions kill? You know that they don't go, one lion doesn't go right into the center and take out the biggest animal, right? You know that, you know that. Do you know what they do? They chase a pack maybe a group of them, will chase, chase a herd of animals, and then what happens? What happens? It's a circle of life. Oh. Poor little wildebeest, you know. You can't keep up, and you're screaming at the TV. Go, run. You know how lions kill? They isolate, and they take down. They isolate, and they take down. Do you know how Satan devours you? He isolates you and he takes you down. He pulls you away from the family of God. He moves you away from fellowship and then he destroys you. You can't live alone. Do you think you can do this alone? Do you think that you can struggle with your sin? Do you think you can fight that addiction? Do you think you can endure that trial? Do you think you can fight that temptation? Do you think you can do it alone? Do you know that one of the greatest weapons in the battle against sin that the Spirit of God has given us is each other, the community of God's people, striving together? What What makes you think you can do it alone? What makes you think that you're more special than anyone else who's ever lived? The Proverbs has has a strong word for the one who isolates themselves. It says that they're breaking out against all sound wisdom. You know what that translation is? It means you're a fool. You're a fool if you isolate yourself. Don't be a fool. Choose to believe the truth of God's word today, to you, today, right now. And you know what? Even right now, in your flesh, some of you are hating this truth. Some of you are hating this truth get in the community of God. Come on. You got maybe some excuses. Maybe one of the excuses you've got is that that you've been buying lies. You've been buying lies. This is a very common one. You can do it alone, says the lie. You got this. You can do it alone. Yeah, you made some mistakes. You slipped up. But you can do it. You got it. You pulled yourself together. You can do it. And the world loves to say this to you. You've got it. You're capable. You're confident. You can do it. The word of God says to you otherwise today. The word of God calls you to community. That's one excuse. Maybe, how about this is your excuse? Oh, you know what? I've been busy. I've been busy. I've not been buying lies. I've been busy. Oh, busy. Kids, oh, work. Oh. Busy, 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 busy. Lots of things going on. You know who loves busy people? Oh, Satan loves busy people. Satan loves when you are occupied with everything else but the kingdom of God. Satan loves it when you don't have the time to be around other believers. I've been buying lies. I've been busy. How about this one? I've been burned. Yeah, Christian community, right. Listen, I've been burned. I've done that before. I've done that at my old church. I've done that at this church. I got in the people of God who were supposed to be loving and caring and I didn't get that. I shared, I got hurt, I got broken, I got burned. Listen, the word of God, the truth of God's word for you today, is that yeah, of course you would. The people of God are broken just like you. But just because they're broken, just because they're flawed, just because you get hurt sometimes, doesn't mean that you're not still called into the family. Doesn't mean that you're still not safer inside, cared for, loved, protected. You can't do it alone. But Satan loves it for you to think, ah, no, I'm never getting back in with those people ever again. I've been buying lies. I've been busy. I've been burned. How about this last one? I've been blocked. I've been blocked. I'm trying. I'm trying. I've been knocking on the doors, trying to get in a small group, trying to get in this way, trying to get in that way. I can't get in. This church is, doesn't have room for me. You know what's happened in this church? We grew a lot Look around. There's a lot of us. And speaking as one of your pastors, there's a burden upon us, a real, genuine burden to disciple and to care for and to bring you into a place where you find your most electric relationship with Jesus Christ you've ever had. That's our heart. But building groups and creating discipleship, that takes time. I can't get you into all these groups right away. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And maybe you're saying, ah, I'm not going to do it then. If I can't get into the group I want, I can't, I'm can't. i not going to do it. You know, there's other groups around, though, don't you? There's other groups you can just jump in and serve in. That word service. You find community, genuine community serving among the people of God. Did you know that before you got here today, about an hour at 8 o'clock, there's a group of about 30, 40 women, men and women in the lobby standing together, praying together, community. They serve on our welcome ministry. Do you know that our, that our hospitality team working together, our our, our children's ministry. There's places all around the church that you can find instant community, connection, instant fellowship. That's the truth. But listen, in your flesh you don't want this. But the truth of God's word is for you today. Only let your manner of life be worthy of Of the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Do you want to live a life that matters very, very little? Do you want to trash your life? Do you want to squander it? Do you want to waste it? Well, guaranteed, do these two things stay away from the gospel, don't let your heart be gripped by it. Don't let your heart be changed by it. Stay away from the gospel. Stay away from other believers. Don't go around them. Don't allow your life to strive next to theirs for the sake of the gospel. But listen, if you want the opposite, if you want to live a life that matters, if you want to live a life and a legacy that matters, then you stand up, you stand firm together, united in heart and united in action. Together, together, together. That's the first stand Paul calls them to, but he calls them to another stand. It takes you away from this wasted life. Stand firm, but now notice secondly, stand fearless, stand fearless. Verse 28 says, and not frightened, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and not from God. Okay, it's time for obvious point here. Obviously, obviously, if I'm going to live like point number one, if I'm choosing to live as in a way that stands firm, I'm choosing to say, you know what, Craig, I love the gospel. I love the gospel. I'm living for the gospel. I want that in my heart. I want that on my mouth. I want that in my books I read. I want that in the morning when I study with God's word. I love the gospel, and I love the people of God. I get into fellowship. I'm going to work together, strive together, live together. I'm doing this. I'm doing this then the obvious point number one is going to happen is this. Uh, opposition is coming. Opposition will be coming. If you're going to live, you're going to choose to live like this for Christ, then opposition is coming. That's guaranteed. That's absolutely going to happen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes this letter earlier, and he says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And for the Philippians and around them, it was foolishness for the, for the others around them. There were Roman authorities, there were Jewish authorities, there were townspeople, there was, they, were, they, were, they were hated by, by, by false teachers, there was opposition, there was opposition for the Philippians. In fact, Paul's first visit to Philippi included him getting in jail. There's opposition. If you're going to live like that, there's opposition. It's like that in the world today too. It's like that in the world today. If you haven't noticed, the world hates, that's a, that's a strong word. But it's true. The world hates the message of the gospel just as much because it tells them that they're wrong and they're in desperate need of a savior. Hey, here's a quote I came across just this week. I want to be told that I'm very sinful and I can't save myself and I'm under God's wrath. Let me read that again. I want to be told that I'm very sinful and can't save myself and I'm under God's wrath. Do you know who said that? Do you know who said that? No one ever said that. No one ever said that. No one ever in the history of humanity has ever said that. I want to be told I'm wrong. I want to be told I'm under God's wrath. I want to be told I'm facing judgment. I want to be told I'm going to be separated from my loved ones. I want to be told I'm going to hell unless I follow this book. No one ever wants to hear that apart from the grace of God. And how remarkable is it that you are sitting here today and you heard that And you believed it to be true. That's who I am. I need this grace. But the world, the world does not want to hear this. That's what sin does. It blinds us to the truth. You tell me that message and I'll hate you for saying that to me. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're my wife. I don't care if you're my husband. I don't care if you're my kid. I don't care if you're my boss. I don't care if you work for me. I will hate you if you tell me those words. The world hates that message. Opponents are coming. Bank on it. But but Paul says, do not be frightened in anything by your opponents. That word for frightened there, it's only used once in the New Testament, but it's used elsewhere in surrounding Greek literature to to refer to stampeding horses. Don't go, don't go panicking. Don't go stampeding. Don't go running off. Don't go throwing up everything that you love and everything that you know and everything you believe to be true just because there's opposition. Don't go losing it here. And then Paul gives two reasons. I love this. Paul gives two reasons why we don't need to be afraid. Again, this is still under point two. Uh, Why do we not need to be afraid of these opponents? Well, first, here's the first thing Paul tells us. It's because, because we win. We win in the end with salvation. Don't be scared by these opponents. You win in the end with salvation. You see what he says there in the second part of verse 28? This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and not from God. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Philippi. Don't be afraid, Harvest. Don't be afraid when the opponents come. Don't be afraid. And when you're not afraid, when you stand firm in the truth that you'll be saved, that that your salvation's coming, when you stand firm in that truth, then you guarantee their destruction. You're proving to them that they're going to fall. You're proving to them they're gonna fail. How can you? How can you not be afraid when opposition comes for the sake of the gospel? How can you do this? Well, because what can they do to you? Look up in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says this for me to die, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You know what the summary of statement of that verse is? What are you gonna to do to me? What are you gonna to do to me? What can you do to me? Have you thought about that? What can the opponents do to you? Are you going to hurt me? You going to take things from me? Don't you know who I have? Don't you know where I'm going? That's the hope of the believer. You're going to take away my, 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 my food I'm going to eat. Well, the Lord will meet my needs. You're going to take away the house that I live in. Well, the Lord will find me a new house to live in. The Lord will find shelter for me. You're going to do, take my job away from me. The Lord will meet my needs. What are you going to do? Take my family away from me? Well, the Lord will prove Himself sufficient for me in the loss of my family. What are you going to do? Take my life? You take my life? I go to Jesus. You lose every way. What can you do to me? What can you do to me? Now, I remember about fifteen years ago, I was traveling in the states. I, I, I took ill and uh, uh, had to be rushed by ambulance to a hospital. I'll save the suspense of the story. I got better. Um, <laughs> But, you know, American hospital systems different than ours, and so there's bills and stuff like that, and we had a great insurance company back home, and we came home, we submitted the bills, they started communication, but in the process, there was a creditor that kind of slipped through, and from the states, and they called us, uh, you know, it was, this was in Seattle, so they called us from Seattle, this creditor, and, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not speaking against a creditor if, if you do that job, but, but there's like... There's, there's certain tactics you use, right? You use forceful language. And, 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 and this particular gentleman was like, threatening language. You know what we're going to do? We're going to come and you know, get on the phone with him. Hello, yes, yes, you have an outstanding bill of, you know, a quarter of a million dollars or whatever it was. It wasn't that much. Uh, and it was like, he, 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 how sick was he? No, it's, it's okay. Uh, uh, it really wasn't big. Just no letters, no cards. Um, but like, hey, you owe this much. Give us your credit card number. You're paying it now. Oh, I'm not. Uh, my insurance company's dealing with it. Haven't you heard? Oh, no, 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 no. You give us the money now. We'll deal with the insurance after. You give us the money now, or else we're going to do this. You give us the money now, or we can affect your credit rating. You give us the money now, or we can take your house. You give us the money now, or we're going to take everything away from you. We're going to take it all away from you if you don't give us the money now. You know what I'm doing as I'm sitting there, thousands and thousands of miles away in Canada. I'm looking at my phone, going, "What?" <laughs> and I'm sitting there. Do you know where I live? There's a border, an international border between you and I. You can't get to my banks. You can't get to my money. You can't get. You can't touch me. Listen, loved ones, that's the same confidence the believer of Christ has. What are you going to do to me? You think I live for this world? You think I live for the stuff of the world? You're going to take my. You're going to wreck my car. I'm going to get a flat. You think I'm going to lose my. Job? What does it matter to me? You can take it all away. I still got Jesus. You know what my greatest problem in this world? The greatest thing you can threaten me with was the penalty of my sin. But here's the grand and glorious truth of the gospel is that Jesus Christ steps on the battlefield one day in time and space and he takes my sin upon his shoulders and he pays for it completely and fully he breaks the back of the punishment of sin in my life. And now I'm freed. What are you going to do to me? Jesus is conquered. Jesus is won. Amen. That's the hope of the believer. We win in the end with salvation. What a glorious truth for us. We win in the end. And how does that verse end? With, three, with four very important words and that from God. Meaning, translation meaning, salvation is in his hands. The omnipotent God places you in his hands and grips you tight. You can't pry those fingers apart. That's from God. Your salvation guaranteed for you. Don't be fearful. Don't be frightened. Don't be scattered because of opposition when it comes for the sake of the gospel. Stand fearless. It's easy to lose sight of that, though, isn't it? On days you can't catch a break, when there's pain... When there's persecution, when there's hurt, when there's loss, when there's tears, when you're struggling in your own sin, you're struggling for the effects of sin upon, upon you for by others, it's really, really, really easy to lose sight of that, isn't it? Listen, do not doubt the power of God. Do not doubt the truth of God's word for you today. That day is coming. That day is coming. Hold on to that truth. If Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, then salvation guaranteed, guaranteed is coming to you. Not even death can stop it. That's the truth. And Jesus Christ has been raised and it is coming. Whether you live or die in this world, salvation from God's hand is coming for the believer. And this is, When you stand in this fearlessness, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. But of your salvation and that from God. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. You can stand fearless because we win in the end with salvation. You want a life that matters? You want to live with that fearlessness in you? That understanding, that's, that's glorification, loved ones. Not just saved from the penalty of sin. Not just saved from the presence of the ravages of sin in my life. Not, uh, saved now finally, ultimately into the presence of Jesus Christ. Isn't that great truth? Not just saved from the penalty of sin. Not just saved from, from, from the ravages of sin in my life and in the lives of those I love and know. Not just saved even from the presence of sin. But now saved into the presence of Jesus Christ who welcomes you. The one who's loved you from all time. That's the truth. That's the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Glorification. We win in the end with salvation. But that's then. That's in the end. What about now? What about today? What makes me stand fearless today? Paul goes on, verse 29. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. We win with salvation in the end. But notice this, today, 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 we win right now with suffering we're in right now with suffering notice verse 29 has deep theology in it this next bite is for the mature in the church this this, this is for this is for us look again look again the word the word there it says for it has been granted to you do you know what that word granted means it means grace it's been given to you as a gift it's been given to you as a gift imagine you open up the mail and inside is a inside is an invitation Printed on that fancy paper with that fancy writing. Dear Craig Turnbull, on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, it has been granted to you to believe in him. Yes. And they flip the page over and to suffer for him. What? Honesty moment here. I like the first part. Don't so much like the second part. It's been granted to you. It's been given to you as a gift, Paul says. It's been given to you a gift as to believe in him. And it's been given to you as a gift to suffer for him. He gives them both to you as gifts. Again, choose to believe what the Bible's telling you today. It's a gift. It's a gift. There's a gift that's been given to you in the form of suffering. But you know what happens? We get in these places of suffering, and suffering comes into our life, and we start to think things that aren't accurate. We can't see suffering clearly because we don't have the right glasses on us. We start to say things like, you know, I, I think this is an accident. I don't, I don't think God knew this was coming. It's an accident. God must not like me. God's trying to punish me. God doesn't care about me. God doesn't love me. I've done something horribly wrong and he's trying to crush me now. God, where are you? I don't see you. So therefore, you must not be real. You must not care. You must not love me. That's what it looks like when you get suffering in your life. You can't see clearly. But here's what God's word says to you today. And when you put on the lenses of God's word, all of a sudden we start to see suffering way more clearly. And we start to say things like, oh, according to the truth of God's word, I recognize that actually it's planned. Suffering has been planned, it's been foreordained by God, sovereign God, the ruler. No accidents in his economy. He knows what he's doing, he's making every step accurately, accurately, accurately. It's planned. It's planned. God loves me. He's doing what He wants. It's right. He's doing it because He loves me. He wants to bless me in it. He wants to bless me. He wants to bless me through suffering. Again, God's word is clear on suffering for the believer. God's Word has some strong words for us. And you know what? As God's Word speaks loudly and and shouts to you, sometimes what you need in this life is for the other things that are shouting in your life, the other distractions in your life, the things that you love more than the Word and the truth of God's Word. You need those things to be silenced. Sometimes the job that screams so loudly in your life and tells you I'm the most important, I'm the most important. Sometimes the person that screams so loudly, I'm the most important, I'm the most important. Sometimes the the, the 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 hobby that screams so loudly, I'm the most important, I'm the most important. Sometimes the appetite for food or for things in this world screams so loudly, I'm the most important, I'm the most important. What you need is for someone to come along and say, "Be quiet," and strip it away, and the job's gone. And the things you love, gone. And suffering comes in. And all of a sudden, now you can hear the word of God screaming to you loudly. Saying to you things like, I am the God who promised you would never be forsaken. I'll never leave you. I'm the God who promised that I would bring you more joy than anything in this world. And with those things gone, you'll find out what that's like. I'm the one who will meet every need. I'm the one who's stronger. I'm the one who is more sufficient for you. I'm the one who will bring you true, real peace. Not those things. I'm the one who will be your fulfillment. Not those things. I'm the one who will bring you complete satisfaction. The suffering, the grief, the pain that you have right now is just temporary. Wait, just wait until that final joy wait until that graduation day and then and then. And listen, maturity takes hold of these truths. Maturity says yes. Maybe even today for you, you came in with a load. What's God doing to me? This is what God's doing to you. He's trying to show you these things. And when you take hold of these truths, you start to believe them. You start to take them in your heart. And you read words like Jesus says, in this heart, in this world, in this world, guaranteed you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Or what Paul says elsewhere this slight, this momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. That's the truth of God's word. We win, we win now with suffering as the things that we think are most important are pulled away from us, and we take hold of the one who is the most important. We win now with suffering. And then we win then with salvation. That's why Paul says, stand fearless, stand fearless, stand fearless. So all in favor of not wasting this life, all in favor of not living for things like rest or peace, All in favor of not living for things like the toys in my garage or money or fame or power or vacation or status or sex or food or coffee or additions to the home or the car or the boat or more sleep. All in favor of not living for things that don't matter one nanosecond into eternity. All in favor of living a life that matters, a life that counts, a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Listen, listen, the time is now. The time is now. To start thinking about the legacy you'll leave. The time is now to start thinking about the life you're going to live. The time is now. Paul calls us to stand firm, to stand fearless, make it count. Only, he says, only one thing. Think about this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, please help us. Lord, please help us. Lord, make us know our end and what is the measure of our days. Let us know how fleeting we are. Lord, make us know, Lord, that the things that we're living for, so many of them don't matter. And the things that do matter aren't being lived for. Lord, I pray you convict us. I pray you challenge us. I pray you change us. I pray you guide us into truth. I pray, God, you be lifted high as the most exalted one in our lives, that we strive for you, we run to you. We live in this life standing firm in the gospel, standing firm together, Lord. I pray that we make this stand. And I pray, God, we are not afraid. We're not scattered. We're not shaken by the enemies around us. I pray we stand fearless for you. And the great truth for us today is we stand in these places. The only reason, the only reason we can do this, the only reason we can even stand together today, the only reason that I can stand firm and I can stand fearless in the world, the only reason is because of you. It's because of you, Lord Jesus, that you chose to come into this world, that you chose to stand firm, that you chose to hold your ground, that you believed in the gospel, that you lived it, you answered it, that you stood fearless in the face of opposition. You stood alone, and you won. And we stand in you now, Lord. We stand in you. And now, Lord, as we get to sing this last song, we take that rich confidence in you. We take that great joy in you. And I pray, God, that there be hearts lifted to you in worship and love for you. I pray, Lord, that you would receive this, the praise of your people. It would be such a delight to you, God, as it is a joy to us to sing to you now. So receive that worship, we pray now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.